This morning's Dharma talk is titled, What Glues Fixation? So let's start with fixation. Fixation uh, can be described lots of different ways, but the way I'm talking about it is is you have uh, the most personal way, subjective way, is you have an emotion or feeling or fear or hope, for that matter, that comes up and it won't go away or it won't dissolve. And and we try to do something with it. We try to push it. We try to pull on it. We try to explain it. We add on descriptions about why it shouldn't be there. We continually, what, lecture ourselves with all kinds of propaganda. And there's the other kinds of fixation that have uh, gone underground and are completely laminated over. We don't even know we have a, what, opinion about something. Opinions are not necessary. You don't need to have opinions. Opinions are what protect the ego or the self-centeredness. They're extra. They're actually lies. Every one of them. You don't need opinions. If you have them, then okay, go ahead, have those. You're not wrong, you're just functioning in a little bit different way, kind of like under a, under a bag or under a bucket, under your own ideas, hopes, fears, opinions, fixations, and so on. So the idea of fixation being glued uh, is happens when we try to do anything with it other than see it. But when we just see it, that's painful, because that way we see how deeply we are enmeshed or stuck in the the situation. We tend to, instead of actually bringing our awareness into that and having a little bit of, you could even say, compassion for ourselves, instead we fight with it. We bring more glue in the form of what? Concepts, ideas, opinions, beliefs. more propaganda about the situation. You actually, when you look at something, if you think anything about it, if you add anything, subtract anything, if you are in favor of it, if you are not in favor of it, or if you try to look away, you're actually solidifying that. So that's what glues that. Um, It's when the conceptual mind, the thinking mind becomes, uh, instead of a, a tool to help us find out how to make cheesecake, find out how to get our car to the gas station. Instead of using it the way it's meant to help us navigate our apparent physical reality and apparent mental, spiritual, even social reality, instead of using it that way to understand more deeply how things, what the setup is, we, the fear comes along and we start to use, take uh, those tools and start to barricade ourselves in, create a cocoon of me, 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 and my stuff, my feelings, my ideas. Don't, I don't want to hear about that. Don't tell me that. Don't say that. I don't want to think about that anymore. <clears throat> the only good thing about that is it's, it's genuine. You're actually, you actually don't want to think about that anymore. So you get one gold star. So, of course, in this uh, tradition, uh, we're pretty biased about how we do this. How do we do this? We spend a lot of time sitting down and watching the mechanics of the mind, excuse me, watching the mechanics of the mind 
continually fastened down and buckled down and screwed down, bolted down, nailed down, this and that and the other thing. So that we're trapped by our own beliefs, opinions, thought patterns, and so on. You might say, well, what's so bad about that? At least we're not running around in circles. Oh, I'm afraid you are. It's just invisible circles. It looks like you know something. If you know something, how can I say this so it's very succinct? Anybody? Can anybody define the word succinct? We use it. Nobody wants to take a chance on that? Go ahead, Mr. English. Concise. Can you define the word concise to the point? What if there's no point? I would have raised my hand and I should have shut up. <laughs> Just checking. Yes, concise, to the point. Succinct. What was I going to say about that? <laughs> knowing. Huh? Something about knowing. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, because it's succinct, we somehow, uh, uh, there's some kind of attribution that it's true. Because we can be, if you listen to somebody talk who's completely wound up, who's highly, has an IQ and somebody really high, like some people we know here and there, really high IQs. This just means they have a lot of machinery going on. It doesn't mean they they know any more what their reality is than anything else. They think they are a pair of pliers. They think they are nuts and bolts and things. We think we are the body-mind. You are not this body-mind. If you think you're this or that, if you think you're that and the thought processes that go on there, you're going to suffer, and it's not going to get easier. And I'm not condemning you to anything. You'll condemn yourself, unless you realize who this is and what this is. It may sound like a threat, but it's not meant that way. It's, It's meant... To say to, uh, it's meant to encourage you, help you to look at your fundamental life. Look when you're when you leave here tomorrow afternoon at three, uh, next Thursday at two in the morning when you wake up and don't know why. Look at look at who what is that that wakes up? Who is that? Who is that person who uh, who needs more covers or needs the heat turned up or needs to go to the restroom in the middle of the night? Who is that? It's a very good time to do it because you've been in you've been in another realm called the dream realm, and you w- awaken back into the physical world. Doesn't that seem kind of strange? That a few moments before you awoke, it was a totally different reality for you. So you don't have to get rid of fixation or locking down or opinions or ideas or you don't have to get, you just have to see it. In the the meditation instruction this morning is look at the space in which things occur. If you can do it, this might be kind of a, a tall order, but if you can do it, identify with the space. Space doesn't do anything. Space is completely generous. Just this. If you do enough sitting meditation, you will eventually, your allegiance will begin to change on its own, depending on the causes and conditions that you are fixated on, hanging on to, and insisting on, and are afraid of, and are in favor of. 
and ignore. Is it fixation that brings us from that dream realm back into the physical body that we associate with? I think there's a dynamic like that going on. I think there's something going on in that area. Are you, are you saying that if that weren't the case, that you would uh, you would wake up and still be in a dream? Be careful here. <laughs> it's a test. <laughs> the whole idea of a sleep and awake are is just a polarity that, as 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 Buddhists, as students of the Buddha's teaching, twenty five hundred years of, of this coming down as a cumulative tradition. It is not a tradition of belief, although there are aspects of schools of Buddhism where there's a lot of heavy assuming that they're right or something. Uh, we're, we're not concerned with that. <clears throat> but it is cumulative. In other words, the Buddha discovered something, he shared it with others. Other people look at that and then took that same teaching, the teaching of dependent origination, that nothing comes from its own side as an individual being or self, and expanded on that or reinterpreted that or made commentaries on it, as we did in the... the Hokyo Zamai, the Song of the Jewel Mirror Samadhi, the one that we did, uh, the third uh, sutra that we did in English. Stone woman gets up dancing. The wooden man begins to sing. Odd kind of images. But those uh, metaphors are meant to help you take the that pragmatic uh, mind that wants to nail things down and and say, here, nail this down. You can't do it. So it confounds the thinking mind. But it doesn't doesn't do anything at all in the awareness. It's, everything is welcome in a dream. Have you noticed? Or maybe you haven't noticed that. Maybe you've noticed that, wait a minute, I'm dreaming. Wait a minute, this is a dream. This doesn't work. I can't fly. <laughs> yeah, you can. You can fly. More about that? Time's up. <laughs> Go ahead. Can we identify with something without thought? It's probably the only way you can do it. And the other way, you're not really identifying with it so much as you're stuck to it. If you identify with it, then you're, you're the way I sometimes say, and even this is not particularly accurate, but it's a way of... Uh, thinking about it, when you change your allegiance over from your thought patterns over to the space in which the thoughts occur. <clears throat> you haven't done anything. You haven't abandoned the thoughts. You haven't shoved them away. Aggression. You haven't uh, uh, validated them or explained them or elaborated on them. Passion. And you haven't turned away from them, particularly uh, ignorance. You're, you just have noticed that there is an aspect of thinking that has to do with uh, space. Once you really understand that, then what arises in space and the space itself, then then that stops to be being a polarity. It's quite humorous. It's uh, sometimes called a cosmic joke. But we think that we're separate beings. <laughs> you don't have to laugh. More. How does that identification with the space occur? By continuing to look, continuing to, this is why we do the sitting practice of meditation, 
That's why it can't really be a hobby. Well, sure, it can be a hobby. You can do meditate as a hobby. It can be something that calms you down. Of course, if you sit still and hold still and don't do much, you're probably going to calm down. But just, it's just a relative situation that's happening. But the ultimate situation that comes about is if you're endeavoring to see what's coming and going and coming and going, you're not trying to maintain a meditator, not necessarily, not, not that you can't watch your breath come and go, but you're not you're not fixated, you're not fastening on anything, you're not validating the out-breath, you're not validating, uh, labeling, thinking, returning, you're not trying to establish some kind of a one who meditates, but you're just watching. Then, depending on the causes and conditions that arise in your particular mind sensorium, uh, you'll start to notice something about the, the arising, the coming and going of things. It starts out as texture, the space between things, and that eventually it becomes, uh, they start to flip so that the, te- the space becomes the object and the object becomes a space. You've seen that yet? <laughs> Not a test. And I don't mean that's going to, everyone is going to have that experience, but something along that line where you, where you begin to see that the very polarity that you, you've been buying into your whole life, uh, the simple one is right and wrong. This is extra. Right and wrong, the concepts of right and wrong do not help. I'm not saying that there aren't things that people do that are painful or dangerous or disruptive or confused, but the causes and conditions that arise to supply that with energy are just, it's just energy. It's just going that way. The right and wrong is an extra lamination on top of it that that supports our self-centered and our ego so that we can be the right ones. Or if we're the wrong ones, then we could be the ones that are going to be pushed around. We're going to have our way. We're going to control everything. Quite a few people in the world these days that are at the top of the apparent heap. But, yes? I'm trying to think about the flip side of changing our allegiance from the things in the space to the space. Um, when, when we're talking about that thing that's changing the allegiance, are we talking about just our apparent consciousness nothing really changes we just made that up (laughs) nothing actually changes you just you just see that that's the case uh, changing your allegiance is just a way of talking about it so that you begin to see it so that you how how it feels to the self-centeredness to the ego is you're not getting anywhere you're not doing you must not be doing this right because you've been meditating for years and years and you're still nuts well, you might not say that about yourself. You're still slightly off track. Might be a kind, kind way of talking about yourself. Slightly disturbed. <laughs> so what you do is you actually see that disturbed and not disturbed are not separate. You actually begin to see it in your own heart mind. Not thinking about it. Not even feeling it. It's not not a feeling. Feelings come and go. Thoughts come and go. Who you are doesn't do anything. Find it. Find it. Find that. Find out the nature of when you start to want to do that, or you start to want not want to do that, or want to forget about something. Find out who's doing that. How do you do that? Sit down. Look at your mind. You don't have to believe in anything. You don't have to disbelieve in anything. Are we 
we only controlled by the causes and conditions that we fixate on? It seems to be like, uh, I don't know if it's an only, but you know, so the fixation causes and conditions, we grasp some, we reject others. It's basically the, the basic teaching of the three poisons of passion, aggression, and ignorance. It's some version of that usually that's going on. Yes? So yesterday you were talking about karma one and two. I think the first one was a parabda karma, that which comes to us. Yeah, you look, this is, if you want to know the karma that comes, the, 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 the parabda karma that you got coming is look at your hand. It's there and it has an apparent duration. We tend to rely on that. Every morning we wake up, yep, still have hands, still have elbows. I can get through the crowd. <laughs> Go ahead. So in light of Andrew's question, um, is, is Parabda Karma then uh, causes and conditions? Uh, it's the... Uh, and does it then involve fixation? So what's your question? Well. Um, do we have to fixate on something to have it control? I can use the word control, so does fixation, only fixation control us? What controls us uh, um, would be fear. But the description of how it looks is locked down or fixated on it, it won't budge. But what keeps that going is fear of fear of that not being there, of being unprotected, of being of the open dimension, spaciousness, of not having a, a reference point. We use the fixation as a, it gives us a temporary artificial safety net, stability, at least, well, at least I know this. We, we do it with everything. We do it with politics, we do it with our families, with our relationships, more. Uh, not for me, but um, Ethan from New York City has uh, another definition for succinct. <laughs> <laughs> he puts it into yeah, two This words. is a stand-up comic? <laughs> oh, he's in there. <laughs> Go ahead, Ethan. He says, suck, sink. That's how a plunger works. You know, I was way ahead of you on that, but I know better. Ethan doesn't know better. And then there's a question yes. uh, from Mariah. in Texas. She asks, can you elaborate on the word that you used, sensorium? Just the whole, I might even be incorrect, but the whole complex of... Uh, Smell, taste, touch, hearing, everything is coming through the six sense fields. Uh, looks like six different things, but it's as a matrix, it, they're, they're, they overlap and underlap each other all the time. You can, you can actually, some of the words, even like the word texture, you can, there's texture in music, there's texture in sound, there's texture in food, there's texture in, in carpeting, there's all of the senses, uh, you can use that word in a certain kind of way that, that, that resonates. So you can see there's an overlap there. Sheldon. So fixation seems to be the same thing that the second noble truth talks about. What's the second noble truth? Uh, the cause of suffering. The cause of suffering is attachment. It's what? Attachment. Wanting things to be different than they are. Hmm. 
<laughs> I don't have a handkerchief. Yes, wanting things to be different than they are. It's a question. Can you can you elaborate on that? Well, however things are, we want something else. It's it's very simple. We can experience it all the time. Sometimes it shows up as boredom. We want some kind of entertainment, even on a, a just a low level of entertainment, something going on all the time because the open, spacious quality is not supportive to our self-centeredness, our ego. And so we need something. This is why we have constant chatter. This is why when you sit down in front of the in front of the uh, uh, the wall and look at it, you'll you'll notice that. You'll notice that you really want something else. You don't want to be there in front of that situation. Thank you very much. Ethan has a follow-up. Another sync question? He says, I know you thought of that first, bowing and laughing. <laughs> he knew. I actually did. It's painful to hear it come back from somebody else. <laughs> <laughs> yes? Are there different kinds of fear? What do you think? What's been your experience? Seems like it to me. But I wonder what you're talking about in particular. Uh, it could just be so many. It could be an actual fear of somebody else or some situation. So there's lots of ways that that could happen. But the basic fear is just fear of no reference point, including a self. We, we'll settle for a self that's losing, a self that's wrong, a self that really can't get it right, that is always making mistakes. We'll settle for that self rather than no self, rather than no no solid being anywhere. The, the, the five skandhas is a traditional way of talking about the structure of the self. Form, feeling, perception, concept of the thinking process, and the six sense seals and their objects that go, kind of go the other way and nail everything down to some kind of a body form that is apparently real. And it's not that this doesn't have a reality to it, it's just that this is not you. I mean, this is you to some extent. There's uh, a lot more. So we're afraid of, of that situation, just like we, the big one is we fear death. We fear that, even though we've only been here a well, short time in your case, but we've been here a little while, still we get used to being this and we, we don't really look back and see, well, who were we before we were born? You can actually do that. It has to be intentional, go ahead. Is the fear of death the same as the fear of no reference point? Yes. Fear of vanishing. That wouldn't be so bad, would it? Shut up. Thinking about um, the second noble truth, wondering if uh, if we're kind of doubling up on that if we're trying to practice to not want things to be different than they are if we're trying to resolve that <clears throat> what, specifically uh, what's the question more specifically does the want for things to be different ever go away M may or may not it's not about anything going away uh, including the self-centeredness the ego or the, the narcissistic part of the consciousness. It doesn't have to go away. Now, it may, 
may just not be as uh, obvious, but it's seeing that it is uh, uh, unreal, insubstantial, uh, transparent, uh, w without any without any density to it, without any solidity to it. It's just a collection of stuff. That's why the five skandhas, the word skanda in uh, Sanskrit, I believe, if I recall, is uh, a, a word for heap or pile of things. The five heaps, form, feeling, perception, concept, consciousness, sometimes translated as form, feeling, perception, uh, memory, and consciousness. <clears throat> So you still might still have feelings, there might be still opinions, all kinds of things could be rattling around, but they're not don't have to get rid of anything because they're no longer getting together to claim, make some kind of claim that I'm somebody who needs protecting. I'm somebody <clears throat> if someone insults you, uh, whether it doesn't matter if they're correct or incorrect, and something you did or points out some one of your foibles, um, that's how you you can feel that, even if they're wrong. Or even if they're missing the point, or even if they're, they got you confused with somebody else, we still feel that, that's our self, that we are somehow not valuable or making a mistake. Just like if somebody compliments you and tells you how wonderful you are. One of the most wonderful people I've ever met in my life. I can't wait to tell all my neighbors about you. We kind of, oh yeah? Well, I didn't really think I was all that great. You say so. <laughs> and we all have a little bit of that going on. I certainly have, probably more than any everyone here. I was very lucky to be so incredibly self-centered and preoccupied with myself that I couldn't you couldn't miss it. I started seeing that when I was very young. This, this is terrible to be like this. Really. So it wasn't subtle. It was so strong that I was uh, very embarrassed most of the time. There was a time when I couldn't get up here, and not too long ago, I couldn't do this. If I did, I, I, I would fail. And not that I'm succeeding. Go ahead, Joseph. What is the relationship between fixation and meditation? So meditation is a kind of fixation, but it's uh, it's the kind that that we're doing it with the body work. We're holding the body very still, and we're noticing that we can't quite do that. And the way in which we can't quite hold still is things continue to move. One of them is our diaphragm, uh, our the air coming past our nostrils and through our over our uh, teeth, and also our maybe an ache in our. And we find that we can't. We can actually hold our body still, but we can't really reach the, the mind part. It looks like they're two different things. It looks like body is one thing, mind is something else. They're not, not two different things. Go ahead. Is there, a, is there a way to see the difference between um, meditation and identifying as a meditator? Yeah, do a lot of it. <clears throat> Talk to me every now and then like you're doing now. Just uh, have to do a lot of it because we have to kind of, uh, as my teacher, Chogyam Trungpa Rinpoche, once said, we have to kind of wear it out by continuing to use it in, in the most straightforward way. Just look at it. Just, just think so that you can see what thinking actually is. We're not 
talking about stopping thinking. At least I'm not. He was somewhat talking about that, but I'm not. In, in addition to the amount, is there... Uh, yes. Does will come into this? Here's what's important, is, is, do, is do something that is possible to do and succeed. It is possible to hold very still. Even, even little children can be taught to be like frogs. Maybe not very long, but duration is not as important. Duration has a, plays, a, plays a part in it as you go along. If you decide this is something you want to do, then you have to work on the duration part. But start out with uh, 38 seconds of not moving at all and watch what continues to move through contrast. Because that's where you'll begin, begin, begin to get an idea of the way the discursiveness and the way the confusion keeps uh, re com coming back for more fuel, coming back for more uh, something else to keep it puffed up, which, which uh, show up uh, conceptually as uh, hope and fear. I'm getting somewhere, no I'm not. I'm getting somewhere, no I'm not. You notice that? It sucks, doesn't it? <laughs> That's the second noble truth. Life of suffering. Or no, it's the first one. Is it the first one? Sheldon? <laughs> I like that response. Anybody else? <laughs> Not paying attention. Let's see. I don't think June June shows only yawned once. Is it once? Wasn't that one? Maybe that was last night. <laughs> okay. Shoto. Do our concepts fixate onto us, too? Pardon me? Do our concepts and thoughts fixate onto yeah. us? It's, it's, and it's, the fixation is not, is, is, uh, the fixation is just needs to be seen. We just need to see that fixation is happening. You don't have to destroy it, do away with it, burn a hole in it. You have to start doing deity yoga necessarily. You might want to, but I don't think it's necessary. The tantric practitioners, the, yoga, uh, the Tibetan lamas would disagree with that. That's okay. They can do that. My my understanding from doing this for a while is just sit down, hold still, and watch the way you keep adding to your own craziness. Can we actually see when we are identified with space? You might not see it as a concept to say, you know, I think I was identified with space there for about 15 minutes. And then it went away and I pulled it up, pulled a, pulled a bunch of uh, imaginations about how great I am. You probably wouldn't do that, though. You might do the opposite. So what you, what you would notice is that you have less and less of a reference point, and you're not too concerned with that. You have less and less of a knowing something else and more of just knowing what this is. It's just still. It's just silent. And even the sound that comes and goes in, inform, uh, in terms of thought patterns is not really sound. Can you remember the sound of a train? Can you hear this? What's the difference? Tell me. <laughs> Tell me. Yes, there is. This is not a train whistle. <laughs> they're both not happening anymore. So. Well, no matter what you would have said, I would have said the opposite. <laughs> Just so you know. There's no position. You can't find a position on anything. Even though we take positions all the time, you can't really find a position. You can't find something that's fundamentally the truth. 
because if you find something, it's relatively balanced out by its opposite. So it's relatively true, which means it's a lie from the, from the ultimate point of view, which is, of course, no point of view. Someday you'll be able to talk in circles. <laughs> yes. From, another question from Mariah. Yes. She asks, if there's no self or identification with an idea of self, where does a direction to move forward in life come from? Mm-hmm. From, from situations. From your situations, from, from who you're with, from the, the, the weather, from causes and conditions that are rising and changing around you all, all the time, especially the people that are close to you. So less self-centeredness, uh, more other-centered. Take care of people. This doesn't mean help them rob banks, but but relate to other people where they're at. It's going to be difficult to do that if you've not really seen where you're at. If you haven't really seen this, if you haven't seen this, then it's going to be difficult to relate to others because you'll be relating to your projection of the other person rather than the, rather than your actual clarity about the other person. Uh, Shane has a question for California. Okay. He asks, what is the continuous, low-level, ever-present, ever-present suffering? <clears throat> what is it? It's just ever-present, low-level suffering. Just, just, uh, it's what basically what the Buddha was talking about. Life of suffering. He didn't say part-time. We might cover it up, but there's a basic discontent going on all the time. Once people be able to begin to tune into that, if they don't have a spiritual path, then they'll try to cover it up with drugs. They'll try to cover it up with anything. They'll find somebody, something. And there, of course, there's all kinds of things out there if you have a lot of money. You can do lots of different things. You can distract yourself with a, with a yacht if you're a millionaire. You can distract yourself using distractions, distractions. But that, that low-level suffering is going, to, is going to happen. That low-level uh, discontent is going to happen. When it continues to happen, when, when, we, when we see there is no solid self there, then things begin to change then from trying to get rid of your feelings or do anything with your feelings for that matter. Explain them, justify them, get rid of them. Kiyun. We see one uh, polarity. Is it useful or appropriate to look at the other side of that? We could. We're talking about a conceptual, you see, I'm not sure exactly how you're, what you're referring to, but sure, you're going to, anytime you see something, you're going to see its opposite in terms of, the, of that way of working with phenomena, night and day, up and down, back and forth. The extreme one, of course, is being alive and being dead. Go ahead. So is it useful to switch back and forth between those? I don't know, and I can't respond to that because I'm not sure exactly what you're up to. <laughs> Is it useful to switch back and forth between those? I mean, did that kind of put me ahead of the game? Is that what you're saying? No, if we're fixating on uh, a particular got it. Got fact it. or got idea. It. I got it. I got it. Don't do anything with it. Don't do it. Don't don't try to stop fixating. That's that's that's. Uh, well, my teacher would call that spiritual materialism. Trying to be what? Somebody else, something else, do something better, improve. 
quite often a lot of the mindfulness, uh, not all of them, but quite often a lot of the mindfulness uh, approaches of training people to meditate and so on is about uh, feeling good, feeling better. And it's, it's good, it's good to do that, but it can be much deeper than that. A little bit of that is okay, but kind of marketing it and selling it and making promises like some people do uh, is uh, disrespectful to people. It's disrespectful to take a group of, you know, four or five hundred thousand people and tell them, well, do this and it'll, it'll, you'll feel this way. Because people are susceptible to that. They, they, they're susceptible to advertising. This doesn't mean you can't tell them something. Uh, Brett in Philadelphia has a question. <clears throat> he asks, is it technically possible to backslide in the practice? For the past two years, I feel like my mind is more unfocused than when I first started sitting. That's awareness. To sit down and practice meditation, if you've been practicing for a few years, and to sit down and practice and practice and practice and feel like you're getting worse, this just means you're seeing more clearly how crazy you are. That's all it is. And I don't mean crazy as a judgment. I can say more confused you are, or more conflicted, or more polarized you are. There's lots of softer ways of saying that. But it's like that, where you feel like, this is this is not helping. I, I just I feel worse. But if you come and talk to me, I'll say, and I've probably said it to people in here, I say, good. Not because I want you to suffer. It's that I want you to see what you're doing to make things worse for yourself and those you come in contact with. So in Brett's, Brett, in, you, in your case, uh, uh, meditate, meditate more, more. Do uh, as I talk about block sitting, four hours a block. Hit the bell, sit down, stay there for four hours. Hit the bell, get back up. Unless you go to the bathroom or make a sandwich or something like that. But sit down and give yourself a large dose of doing nothing, so you can watch the movement that is happening all the time in your mind that you're that we all of us are able to shut out. Pretend is not there. <clears throat> Huge gaps. You can't. The interesting thing about a gap is you don't know you're having them. You know, like big blind spots in your life. Like what happened last Tuesday between three and four o'clock? Tell me. Can't do that. That shows. Uh, it's a way of saying it's very difficult to keep track of any anything. Very difficult to keep track of what's actually occurred. Not that some people aren't maybe better than that than others. But it's not about changing into something else. It's about being completely genuine. And this might mean you're going to have to go through some passages that are pretty raw and pretty rough, especially if you've been shutting them out for not only this lifetime, but uh, what, uh, what appears as other lifetimes. <clears throat> Sheldon. Say more about how fixation is a manifestation of ignorance. Yes. So, the fixation to use a, an example is uh, this is moving around. It's going this way. We're able to see. We're aware of what this is. We're looking at it, but this is fixation. So we're ignoring the. the you could to be very literal about the image or metaphor. We're ignoring the very areas that are being shut off by our hanging on to these are concepts i like it it shouldn't be happening i don't deserve this this wouldn't be happening if she hadn't said they hadn't done or if i hadn't been treated like such and such when i was a child sometimes we validate something so much that 
I mean, if somebody came along and said, hey, by the way, I can help you here, sure you can unzip this and let all those uh, those uh, demons out. You say, no thanks, leave them right in there. They're fine right there. I don't want to know about that. More? No, go ahead. Regarding fixation, a, a story of an experience I had that was memorable, seemed seemingly minor, but I was in the car listening to the radio, and it was a song that I liked, and I remembered something coming up in consciousness that was disagreeable. And then the next thing I noticed is I changed the station. And it seemed like the changing of the station was to get out of the discomfort of what was going on. So, and I don't even remember what it was, but it seems like a lot of times we probably do that. So if the, if the avenue of getting out of it seems completely unrelated and there's no awareness, how can you stay with the original thing? You don't have to stay with it. You're trying to stay with something is a misunderstanding. And it's just, uh, it's just a sophisticated form of fixation. <clears throat> if you actually find your, your mind in a state where you can't fixate or attach to anything, uh, uh, whatever is left of the self-centered mind will be terrified. The only way that the self-centered mind won't be terrified is when it does not is not concerned at all with what happens next. We're not saying that you're going to stick your hand on a fire. I don't care what happens next. You know, I'm going to I'm going to jump in a bucket of water and drown. Well, that might be hard to do. You know, you're not, not I'm not talking about that kind of flippant kind of idea about actually being with everything and and, and you could even say welcoming being a not the idea, not the aggressive kind of a flippant idea, yeah, bring it on, that kind of thing. I don't mean that kind of macho thing. I'm saying something that's very, very soft and open. Kind of like a hug. Not all of them. Some hugs are not so good. So be, care, be careful of gorillas. <laughs> Kevin. A little while ago you mentioned that uh, through sitting practice we can see the way we cause trouble for others. If we see that in sitting practice and then cause trouble for others in our lives subsequently, and yet we're not supposed to correct, what, what do we do with that insight? So there's lots of ways that could show up, but I would say, heard me say many times, less is better. Don't do anything. Don't, don't do be with whatever whoever the person is that you're speaking of. Be with them, but don't don't do anything with it. But just try to put everything in so far as you can on receive. Receive. This doesn't mean that you have to interrogate them, but try to receive what's happening with them, so that it's almost like they don't even know you're doing that. You don't get a credential for oh you're so receptive today. You're not running your mouth like you were yesterday, or correcting me, or evaluating me, or helping. You're not giving me the kind of help that I don't really didn't give you permission to give me. So it's not easy to do that because it, the way that may feel is you might see very vividly the way the person is not only creating problems for your, for themselves, but it's really difficult for you to even be around because of that, those the machinations of uh, passion, aggression, and ignorance. So you're there, So, but it, this is where the, the idea of, uh, in Buddhism, the, of the Mahayana path, the bodhicitta, the heart, the heart, the inspiration to be with all things. 
it's not the actual Buddhahood. That might take a while to really see that it's already the case. But the, the bodhicitta is where you're starting to change your allegiance again from from how from protecting yourself and your ideas and your insights into the how crazy that person is. Um, those are those are misunderstandings. It's not that they aren't relatively correct, but they're misunderstandings in that the, the hidden imputation is that there's two different beings in that room. And, and we, we are reifying it by we're the one who is aware how confused they are. Follow me? Only to, not to be corrected. You don't have to ever be different than that. In, in, in fact, and in fiction, if you never change anything, if you just become more and more and more aware, because you haven't got rid of your neurosis, you haven't gotten rid of your anger, you haven't got rid of your of anything, then you're able to meet everybody where they're at because you're not different from them. You're not different from the very people that are confused or at war with themselves or with each other. Yeah. Is giving someone, meeting someone where they're at, is, is that any more than just being in, giving space and, and just being in receiving? When you're with someone, the, the relative word I use. That? Go ahead. I say, is there more than? than so that? the relative word I use is uh, is to observe would be to watch what's happening, and the the other relative word I use is receive, which means that that something is moving towards you, whatever it may be. Just receive that. Just allow that to come into your experience, your awareness, without doing it, without adding anything to it, no comment. Even though it's automatically being commented by the judging mind of being wrong, being incorrect, being unclear, do nothing with that. Don't 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 cover up the very understanding that is being supplied to you in the form of confusion. The Buddha did not awaken to, um, uh, as I say, rainbows and unicorns. He didn't awake to happiness. He awoke to suffering. He awoke to delusion. When delusion and suffering begin to arise in your mind, just just, just observe. You're at the, that's what the Buddha saw. He didn't, uh, he didn't polish it over with some kind of nice stuff. Yes. I'm kind of thinking about Shane's question, and sometimes you talk about if we can pull the label away from something like depression or anxiety to yes. see behind it. Um, is the thing that's behind the word like? Depression, just a more honest look at what's there. <clears throat> Paraphrase your question. Is the thing we call depression just the case? Well, whatever you, something arises, here it is, and you, if you name it, uh, then you cover up what it is that you should be uh, looking at the fundamental nature of that. Because if you don't look at the fundamental nature of that, that very in a very subtle way becomes an expression. You start to express the depression. So as soon as you do that, you've you've actually abandoned its fundamental nature, which is confusion and disturbance, and hope and fear and passion, aggression, and ignorance, all in a big wad. And it needs to be looked at. When I say that needs to be. We need to look at the nature of that. And if we do anything with it, uh, starting with naming it. Now I'm not saying you can't. Have a uh, have a touchstone there that uh, that would be naming, but watch the way we d tend to use that to fixate on it. It's like we want to be depressed because at least we know what it is. So we, we settle for an idea about how we feel rather than how we feel because how we feel is can be terrible. 
can be really, really painful and terrible, uncomfortable in the extreme. And so, mm -hmm. how can that underlying discomfort be the great perfection? Because it's not separate. Because nothing is separate from anything else. That's why we're talking about the Zogchen, Zogchen uh, teachings of the great perfection, which Longchenpa talks about. Like he says, don't you have to meditate? You don't have to. Of course, he meditated. You don't have to do anything. You can just just see it. But if you can't see it, you might have to look at the way you can't see it for a while, which is meditation. Meditation is just looking at the way you, looking at the the blockages between you and the ultimate reality, which is your Buddha nature. Kevin. <clears throat> In book study of Longchenpa the other day, when talking about fixation, the teacher Bruce, when asked how do we work with that, he said Longchenpa would say, well, just let go. In the example that Kozan gave, where we can fixate in some memory about a song, I've had the experience of kind of going into that neighborhood, but then just being like, this is absurd, or just sort of like, mm -hmm. is that an example of ignorance. Ignorance. Yes. I, I, you'll never hear me say let go of anything. Bruce can teach however he wants. Uh, he's invited here to teach. He's a very intelligent, knowledgeable person. Uh, you should, you should ask him questions. But uh, it's not. I'm not correcting him. He's just working with it in a different way. But you don't have to let go of anything. Letting go of something is a subtle form of ignoring. It's it's your it's your. It's your life. You'll miss your life by letting go of something that is hammering at the door. Open the door. It's a Dharma gate. So at the same time, don't don't lecture yourself. It's okay. I shouldn't let go. I should just... You can do it with the texture. You don't have to do it with the thought patterns. Go ahead. When we find ourselves going into some avenue of memory, like that beautiful summer when we were mm -hmm. young and that painfulness, do we just keep going in that direction until it shifts into space or do what do we do with that what are you doing right now I was talking to you <laughs> <laughs> I knew that <laughs> but what, what are you doing when we're not you're asking me a question about a particular kind of thing what how are you working with that now well I would say I would I still have this sort of shamatha training of calling it thinking and then trying to come back into some space in which this mm -hmm. situation's arising, feeling that to like go into the memory is going to kick up these secondary, tertiary feelings, which sure. are confusing. Yeah. So now I ask you a question. Well, what do I do? What do I do? Uh, just watch what moves. I also studied and taught Shamatha Vipassana meditation for decades. My question is, yes. how do I not let go without embellishing? All you have to do is watch. You don't have to stop embellishing. You don't have to let go, not let go. Just watch what watch the natural order of your call it order or the, the functioning or the the qualities of your confusion. Watch the way, everyone here has a different way of avoiding who they are, avoiding your Buddha nature. And so this is why the awareness practice is so important. And it's taken me a long time to understand that this is a way that it, it could be taught, that, that there are people ready to hear this. Just observe, just watch what's happening. And this is very similar to uh, not meditating. 
you're, all you're really doing is, uh, I, I even said you can call it pineapples. I used to meditate, but now I just do pineapples. <laughs> what is that like? Well, you just sit down, hold really still, and watch what moves. That sounds like meditating. No, that's not meditating. This is more like a fruit. Just, just don't call it meth. Huh? <laughs> don't call it meth. No, don't call it meth. I used to meditate, now I just do meth. <laughs> <laughs> that sounds like a tantric teaching. Uh, working with negativity in a positive way, of course. So, uh, so I, I would just say, generally speaking, and spe even specifically, probably less is better. The most of the thing we need to do, to do a lot of is holding very still so we can watch the confusion that keeps rumbling around and don't interfere with it. Like watching fish in a pond. You know, you don't have to stop the fish. You just have to be aware that they're there. Just aware that they're moving. No agenda about fish or about clouds or anything. Or no agenda about your mind. It's, a, it's, it's like um, it re that kind of, the kind of word that's coming up for me now is one that's been used even in ancient times as dispassion. It doesn't mean you don't have feelings and emotions. It just means that the attachment to wanting things to be different is gone. And therefore, one can actually feel much more deeply because we're not, we're not, uh, not prejudiced about what should be or shouldn't be. The, the whole prejudice idea is we just understand. We've stopped separating ourselves from everything. Not easy. You might have to look at a whole lot of walls and barriers before you can see that they're transparent. Any further questions? One more, possibly. Yes, go on. Oh, going on Shogo's question, kind of related to what I was saying. Mm -hmm. If you say it's depression, or it's whatever was discomforting when I was watching or listening to the radio, and then you call it something or you change the station, you said that's, that's ignoring the original thing. So can you go back to that original thing? Probably not. So you're endeavoring not to do it, but when you do it, you can't go back. Yeah, just, just, just be in this situation that you've uh, added to. It's not about stopping, it's not about doing something right. Right or wrong is just extra. You know, it's, it's, about, it's about just seeing what's happening without any kind of uh, attributing any kind of persona or some kind of identity, just noticing that happening. So there's nothing to correct. Jim. Uh, but it, it seems, along the lines of what Kozan's saying, it seems like I mean, the good thing about dep depression and anxiety, it's chronic, is that it's always there, even after you've named it. Mm -hmm. It's there. So it seems like there's the opportunity of, of, of coming back to it. Um, it hasn't gone anywhere. If it hasn't gone anywhere, can't we come back to it? Yeah, good. It would be individual. So it's not something I would recommend, but if you're saying that you're doing that in some way, I would respect what you're doing. It's about it's a it's a mutual situation where I'm functioning as a teacher, but if, if you're already doing something a particular way and I'm not really clear about what you're up to, then I respect what you're doing. Just like when somebody comes into this situation and then changes their mind and decides to go a different direction, you know, I might think, why don't they talk to me a little bit about that first rather than just leave? But I, I don't know. People people are working with their minds as best they can. So when they go another direction, uh, I might have recommended something else rather than 
just something about not wanting to talk to me about it is somewhat telling. They don't really want to have a conversation. They just want to do what they want to do. So as far as going uh, into back into depression or back into that, I, I'd say that could happen if you have a if you have a really clear idea that you're not avoiding anything. If you're really clear that you're you're able to go back into that and look at it and come back out and not avoiding. Go ahead. Well, it's just like the label falls away mostly, and what it was labeling is still present to be experienced. I get. It's, okay, I'll go with that. Anything else? Very good. Thank you so much. Announcement. We'll stand and dedicate the mirror at the back of our yellow chant books. And just to remind everybody, we'll be having Jim Fukai here in about 45 minutes. And also we do have donation boxes in the hallway. We always appreciate and depend on your financial support. Thank you. so that we and every sentient being together can realize the Buddha's way. Heal everyone who is unhappy, sick, or suffering, and fill them with light. 